At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. You and Betty and the Nancys and Bills and Joes and Janes will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. Welcome to Inquiring Minds. I'm Indre Viscontis. This is a podcast that explores the space where science and society collide. We want to find out what's true, what's left to discover, and why it matters. This is the first episode in a two-part series about the things that keep us together, our bones. How often do you think about your bones? Usually only when they hurt or are broken or aren't functioning. But the truth is that bones actually are made of the world's best building material. And they're really interesting. But don't take my word for it. This week's interview is with Roy Meals. He's an orthopedic surgeon, someone who specializes in fixing hands. But in his first book, Bones, Inside and Out, he talks about not just the chemistry and biology of bones, but also the many ways in which we take them for granted and how they teach us about the very essence of what it means to be human. Dr. Roy Meals, welcome to Inquiring Minds. Well, thank you for inviting me. So I was really excited to get a copy of your book, Bones, Inside and Out, because I feel like it's something I never think about. I don't think about my bones. And so it's always nice to know that you're walking around with a body part that has so many fascinating things tied to it that I can still learn. So let's start with the basics. What are human bones actually made of? What, what are they constructed of? Well, that's the beginning of this incredibly interesting uh, story that it's a composite uh, material where, first of all, there's a meshwork of collagen protein fibers that uh, you might think of like a um, piece of uh, steel wool, that it's, it's flexible and has lots of openings in it. And then on this meshwork of collagen fibers, uh, there's this particular uh, calcium compound that's deposited, and that that's what makes it uh, rigid. And so the combination of the flexibility of the collagen and the rigidity uh, of the uh, calcium crystal uh, really uh, gives the bone its lasting uh, nature. It's a tiny bit flexible. If uh, an engineer bent it, that they would see it actually uh, bend a little bit uh, long before it broke. Uh, so that, that means that every time we fall down, our bones aren't so brittle that they you know, crumble uh, every time. But that um, the calcium uh, does provide rigidity and allows us to stand up and jump and run. And then it also gives longevity to our bones such that uh, there's some possibility they'd fossilize and uh, show up 100 or 200 million years later. One way to think about uh, bone, I guess, is a composite material is thinking about uh, a, a wall that has plaster on lath. The lath is a little bit flexible and it supports the plaster and then the plaster gives a, a hard 
surface to it. So that's or uh, another analogy uh, when we think about the outer uh, layer of dense bone and the inner layer of uh, uh, open mesh bone is a good analogy there is a, a loaf of uh, uh, stale French bread. Yes, uh, I can certainly picture that uh, the, the texture there. One thing that kind of struck me when I was first started your book is that you say that we very infrequently see living bone. And, and it's, it's true, the bones that we tend to see have, are, are bones that are, are no longer alive. So can you tell us a little bit about the difference between um, the bones kind of structure or, or sort of how it does its job when it's inside of our bodies versus when it's outside of our bodies? Okay, well, um, I guess I'm privileged as an orthopedic surgeon to, you know, see living bone on a regular basis and, and work with it. And uh, I think most people's uh, concept, if we just stopped somebody on the street and said bone, uh, what's the image in your mind is that I think oftentimes the the dried skull on the desert floor would uh, would come to mind. And that's pretty much just the uh, calcium uh, that uh, remains at that point. But the uh, living bone uh, has a blood supply. It doesn't have a fantastic uh, blood supply, but it, it is uh, nourished by uh, blood. And so that uh, if we drill a hole in living bone, say, for instance, to put a plate and screws on a fracture, it is that uh, we can see the bone bleed, and then the internal channel, the relatively hollow channel in our long bones is in early life filled with cells that make blood cells, and it makes red blood cells to the tune of about 5 billion a day. And then as we progress in age is that there's less red blood cell uh, production and that uh, marrow space uh, uh, becomes fatty, and, and so that that's uh, when somebody eats uh, uh, marrow bone is what they're uh, eating is that uh, buttery uh, interior uh, of the bone. So I, get, I mean, and, and of course, then um, if an animal dies and dries in the forest or uh, on the desert, well, then uh, the uh, marrow uh, and all the cells uh, disappear entirely and just leave the uh, calcium uh, framework at that point. And if the bone is less left exposed, uh, according to the humidity and the, the degree of sunlight, is that the, the bone itself, the calcium uh, structure, will decay over five or six years. Uh, but that uh, in the instances where animals have become silted in, say, like on a uh, riverbank, uh, then uh, that puts them in an oxygen-free environment and uh, those bones have some possibility of fossilizing and then uh, reemerging, uh, great to the pleasure of paleontologists, uh, uh, even hundreds of millions of years later. So I, I think I'm still, like when I'm trying to envision this in my head, confused as to whether bones have cells and where those cells are, or whether there are cells that act like helpers that you know grow the bone and 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 give it what it needs well the main cell and bone yes they do have cells and the main cell and bone is called the osteoblast and osteo means bone and blast just means fabrication so these are the cells that that make the bone but that they um as they produce the molecule that then they excrete um, outside of the cell and that forms the uh, large collagen um 
meshwork of, of fibers, and then this meshwork becomes encased in the calcium, is that uh, this actually uh, isolates the uh, bone cells from uh, each, each other, and they're all encased in their own little uh, cocoon of bone, or called lacunae, or uh, little tiny uh, lakes, but they're isolated from each other. And one interesting thing about that is that that is the reason why some people can predict the weather based on changes in barometric pressure, because these little osteoblasts are in this rigid container of bone that they have surrounded themselves in. And then when pressure changes is that they can't equilibrate with the pressure easily and it can cause a weather ache. And so that's the, that's the main, well, that, that's the cell that forms the bone. And then the, the other cell that's equally important is called the osteoclast. And clast means to destroy, such as an iconoclast. But the osteoclast um, uh, removes bone, and the two in concert then uh, keep our bone in a, a natural healing state. And for instance, that's the understanding behind the message to exercise regularly and to walk briskly uh, five or six uh, times a week because uh, that stimulates the bone uh, to uh, remodel. Uh, if the uh, cells uh, sense a um, weakness in the bone is that the osteoclast will go to that area and actually uh, remove bone, and then the osteoblast will be immediately there behind it to uh, replace it with uh, more bone. So that basically, as we exercise, we're remodeling uh, the bone, particularly in our weight-bearing uh, skeleton, uh, hips and spine, uh, to be most specific, uh, and so that this keeps the uh, the bone healthy. So the, the osteoblasts and the osteoclasts uh, work in, uh, in concert. They also help maintain a um, very even level of calcium in the blood, and the, the heart in particular is very demanding on a, a level of calcium, but that the heart gets uh, uh, twitchy or achy if the calcium level goes too high or uh, too low. So if we don't have a, a adequate um, dietary intake of uh, calcium, well then the osteoclasts go to work to uh, maintain the blood level. And of course that's good for the heart and for other muscles, but that it is terrible for the overall health of our bones. And of course this gets to be uh, a bigger deal particularly in women, particularly after you know, menopause. Uh, and uh, that is the basis of uh, osteoporosis. And that's, you know, far better to prevent than to treat. And do you think that women can prevent osteoporosis just by adding calcium to their diet and then exercising? Uh, the, right. The, the exact details go far beyond what I, I can do, particularly on a um, uh, podcast, but that each individual... Uh, needs to talk to their family physician or their gynecologist uh, regarding uh, hormonal supplements, uh, calcium supplements, vitamin D supplements, and and exercise. But that uh, in general, uh, people really and, and men as well, um, uh, our bone mass is maximum when we're about 25, and that we should do everything after uh, 25 to maintain that. Uh, bone mass, and at least up until menopause, the best way to do that is just with regular exercise. And then after that, it becomes an individualized thing that people need to consult their 
um, doctors with, uh, consult their doctors uh, regarding a specific regimen. So I want to I want to get back to what happens to our bones as we get older or as they fracture. Um, and I'm also really interested in what's happening in bones in little kids as they're growing. But one thing I don't want to forget to ask you about, which is related to this idea of supplements, is that I've been seeing this explosion of cans of collagen at the Whole Foods stores. Um, that people are eating collagen. And I just wanted to ask you, is uh, that something we should be doing? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, you know, there was, everybody's looking for the fountain of youth. And, you know, if you can eat a can of collagen and have to, and then can avoid uh, uh, walking briskly every day, there'd be some people that would, uh, would go in for that. But that, uh, you know, I think maybe the fads kind of uh, died off about a few years ago, everybody was taking a chondroitin sulfate and, and uh, um, whatever the other one, chondroitin sulfate and uh, glucosamine for uh, the health of their cartilage. And it's the same with collagen is that when these uh, uh, big molecules are uh, ingested and then uh, digested, they're broken down into their basic sugars and amino acids in the uh, intestinal tract. And so it's a real leap of faith to um, expect that these uh, uh, molecules of glucose and um, amino acids that are circulating in your bloodstream having been absorbed from the intestinal tract. It's a real leap of faith to think that they will reassemble themselves uh, as collagen or as glucosamine or uh, chondroitin sulfate and then uh, somehow miraculously find their way to the joint surface or to the um, to the bone. So uh, a general healthy uh, diet uh, is fine and recommended, but to eat these supplements is that the only person they're benefiting is the um, proprietor of the grocery store. <laughs> Excellent. So I will take that off my <laughs> delivery order. <laughs> yes, yes. Have a, have a nice piece of steak or a good, uh, a good helping of kale. <laughs> So that brings me to um, bones growing, and uh, especially in in little kids who seem to go through all kinds of stages of bone growth. Um, when they're really little, uh, you know, it seems like that it's growing. Their bones are just growing very quickly. When they break the bones, they seem to heal really quickly. So, can you tell us about sort of the differences between like what's happening in in kids' bones versus what happens after age twenty five or whenever they stop that phase? Well, in general, if you like watch a, a tree branch grow, it will just continue to grow right from the the tip. But that when we consider that our long bones have cartilage on both ends of them, and the cartilage makes for the slippery, um, low friction surface in the joint, it is that uh, there's an area near the end of the bone, but not immediately on the end of the bone. It's called the growth plate. And that's where the bone pushes the cartilage surface uh, away from the, the shaft of the bone. Uh, most bones have these growth plates on both ends, and so that the, the bone um, grows longer from near each end, but that it maintains the um, growth plate uh, on the, uh, I mean, it maintains the cartilage on the end of the bone. Um, an analogy I use in the book is that you think about a growing twig, but on the end of the twig, you put a little piece of uh, slippery uh, banana peel. So the banana peel is the analogy for the cartilage. Uh, so the, the growing twig just keeps pushing the, the, the cartilage um, further away from the, the trunk of the tree. And so the, the bone always has a cartilage surface on it, but that uh, it uh, can grow 
nonetheless to turn a child, you know, an infant's femur that may be uh, four inches long into an adult femur that's, uh, you know, well over a foot long. You know, I, I often hear stories of, of parents who say, like, I didn't realize my kid had broken their arm when they fell off the whatever play structure because um, they didn't really, you know, they were just kind of holding it weird. They didn't they didn't cry as much as they should. Like, what what's happening? Well, uh, a lot of instances like that uh, is that they'll actually uh, break the bone through the growth plate and that if it's not um, – you know, grossly deformed is it would be uh, just like a sprained wrist in that uh, the children are so resilient and have such a, a fantastic uh, healing capacity is that the area might be tender for a week or 10 days, uh, but then uh, heal up and um, carry on. Uh, also, uh, children can get what we call green stick uh, fractures. It's just an incomplete fracture. It's a buckling of the uh, surface uh, of the bone. It's a little bit uh, further towards the middle of the bone than where the growth plate is, but that um, sometimes those will show up on x-ray just as a tiny little uh, blip on the uh, surface of the bone, but never even see a crack going all the way across the bone. And so the, their bones are very flexible and the growth plates are the weakest part uh, of their bone. But if the bone isn't really broken through and through and, you know, have a deformity that you can see across the room, well, then these fractures will often heal up without any attention uh, at all. But that uh, if a child does uh, fall and um, has a sore spot that lasts more than a day, uh, even if there's no deformity, then they deserve an x-ray and uh, maybe a cast to protect them from an additional injury uh, while the bone is healing so that make sure that you don't get a complete fracture uh, that uh, uh, results in a deformity. I mean, and that's essentially what a cast is doing, right? Just just giving the bone space to heal itself. Right, just to protect it. I mean, protect the child from itself. So that, uh, with a cast is that uh, they may be less likely to go back on the jungle gym, but that anybody who sees them with the cast may suggest to them very politely that they probably shouldn't be using the jungle gym or their uh, uh, scooter uh, you know, for a couple of weeks until the bone gets strong again. You know, we have so many different looking bones in our bodies. Uh, they de- all have different shapes. And there's no architect standing by telling the bone how to, you know, go back to its original shape or even even how is this? How does that work? How do, how do the bones like these cells are stupid, right? They don't know what they're doing. Well, <laughs> how do they end up- well yes, yes and no. Uh, the osteoblast and the osteoclast uh, working in concert is that... Uh, they uh, follow tiny little uh, electrical uh, impulses that we transmit uh, every time we take a step or or jump. And th- this particular calcium crystal is called hydroxyapatite, and I don't think anybody needs to remember that, but that certain crystals have uh, a property that when you compress them, uh, that they generate a small electrical force. And that uh, hydroxyapatite is one of these uh, type of uh, crystals. And so that uh, when we take a step, it is that the hydroxyapatite crystals in our hip and in our uh, spine in particular is that they generate these electrical forces. And then uh, the uh, osteoblasts and the osteoclasts will um, follow that electrical force and, and know that there is stress there that they need to remodel the bone to 
to make it stronger. And so that uh, after a fracture, if there uh, is a, an angle uh, in the bone, which isn't uncommon at all, uh, that um, uh, on the, the side of the bone where the stresses are being felt and the new bone uh, that's healing the fracture is generating these electrical forces is that the, the bone will go there and remodel it. And, but then on the other side of the angle where there's the, the bone is not absorbing any weight-bearing forces is that um, there won't be any electrical forces there and that uh, the osteoclasts will then just naturally uh, model this bone away. It's really remarkable to see uh, a fracture that's uh, three months old and it's healed, but it may have a 30 degree angle uh, in it. Uh, and then you take an x-ray two years later and you can't believe that there had ever been a fracture there. That you, Even when you take an x-ray of the other side, uh, that injured bone has remodeled itself because of uh, these, uh, you know, you can't call them intelligent cells, but they just they just do what they do uh, to uh, follow these electrical forces and uh, and remodel it. And, and that's what really makes bone a, a remarkable substance. I mean, you can't do that with a bridge uh, made out of steel or, or stone. Um, and that also is that, you know, bone will get stronger if you um, uh, just go out and play tennis and you go play tennis every day for a year and then do a bone density study on your dominant form versus your non-dominant form is that the those electrical forces in your arm that is resisting the tennis racket and the tennis ball is that they will actually make that bone uh, stronger. So uh, it, it really is uh, remarkable how these, you know, microscopic um, uh, cells that, uh, you know, certainly don't have a brain, uh, but by following these electrical forces, they um, really make bone a wonderful material. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. So when you, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the differences between um, when you have a traumatic injury and you've, uh, you as a surgeon have had to go in and, and fix something versus an elective surgery. Um, and what are the kind of things that you think about when you're dealing with something that wasn't necessarily sort of planned? Um, are there differences in terms of your approach? I mean, I'm sure there are sort of practical differences, Well, I but mean, just uh, in general. A lot of fractures can be managed by closed means, meaning a cast or a brace or maybe even just a restriction of activity for a while. One exception to that would – one type of fracture that almost always deserves surgical treatment is a hip fracture, particularly in an older person. Now, if – we put that person to bed for six weeks, the, the fracture uh, would heal. Uh, but in the meantime, they would get pressure sores and pneumonia and bladder infections, and uh, they'd uh, waste away their bones, and they'd maybe never be able to get up and, and, and walk again. So it's not 
really uh, the healing of the fracture, but it's the overall health of the patient that's uh, taken into consideration there. And so uh, if the patient uh, has the general physiological wherewithal is that most all hip fractures get operated on within a day or so uh, to minimize the downtime and minimize the risks of uh, uh, debilitation uh, from the muscle wasting and the osteoporosis that go along with prolonged, um, um, you know, uh, time in bed. Now, uh, other fractures, uh, uh, the tendency more and more is to um, treat uh, more of them surgically uh, because uh, we have these uh, really very innovative uh, plate and screw systems. Uh, a lot of them are uh, 3D uh, designed. Some of them are actually custom designed for the individual uh, patient. And that uh, by securely uh, fixing the bone with uh, plate and screws is that it still takes the bone the same length of time to heal, but that because the hardware is supporting the fracture rigidly and internally means that the patient doesn't need a cast and it also means that they may be able to resume um, light and some moderate activities while the uh, bone is healing which means that it's time uh, less off work um, less time away from their sport um, and you know less muscle wasting less osteoporosis um, and so forth and so uh, as the hardware becomes uh, better uh, more and more fractures uh, are being treated surgically. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the choice of materials to use in uh, in in orthopedic surgery, like the plates and the screws, because that that has changed over time. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, and uh, my and my my husband has a screw in his ankle that he never had taken out from an injury when he was like fifteen. And like, I just don't understand how it's possible that he can walk around with that and not be in pain. <laughs> and, but, and, you know, and tell us that. And that's the only thing you don't understand about him, right? <laughs> Correct. Everything okay. else is, yeah, very Every, clear. Everything else is an open book. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, um, uh, surgery in the modern sense really came around in the late 1800s, and that was a time when uh, people uh, began to understand about uh, bacteria and could do things to uh, prevent uh, infection, and therefore they could begin to do elective uh, surgery. And so they could begin to treat closed fractures at that time. Also, after the invention of uh, the discovery of anesthesia in the 1840s, well, then uh, people could um, be anesthetized and uh, the surgery didn't have to be at warp speed fast. Um, while, you know, two assistants were holding the uh, awake patient down and so forth. So there were a lot of things that and blood transfusions also. So there are a lot of things that happened in the last half of the 19th century that allowed for um, elective uh, surgery. And so that was when uh, surgeons began to think about using plates and screws uh, for uh, internal fixation of fractures. And naturally, the, the first uh, screws uh, came from the... Uh, a woodworking uh, shop, and I can show you an x-ray from about 1895, and it's just a plain old flat-headed you know, wood screw that somebody's placed in an elbow fracture. And the thing that they didn't understand when they first started putting iron and implants in, iron and aluminum implants in, is that the um, body is basically just a big waterproof bag of, of salt water, and that it is going to uh, rust uh, any uh, normal metal. 
and then it was about you know, the early 1900s, maybe 1910 or thereabouts, when the first uh, uh, stainless steels uh, came around, and that really uh, revolutionized uh, internal fixation of uh, fractures, because then for the first time, um, plates and screws could be uh, placed and not expect them to uh, corrode away. And then in more recent years, uh, uh, there's still a lot of uh, uh, stainless steel uh, being used, but also now we use uh, some plates and screws made out of titanium. It's a little bit lighter and its bending characteristics are a little bit closer to that of the natural uh, bend in uh, bone. And so they're a little bit better uh, tolerated uh, mechanically. But that um, some hardware, like a, a single screw in an ankle, um, typically would not uh, pose any problem at all and can uh, be left in place. Um, other times, the plates and screws are palpable uh, beneath the skin and just for um, the sake of comfort uh, need to be removed. Uh, sometimes they need to be removed uh, so that they don't uh, overly protect uh, the bone. And um, if you have a very rigid you know, plate and screws in place on a long weight-bearing bone, is that those um, uh, Osteoblasts and osteoclasts in the area never have a chance to sense any uh, of these little electrical charges, and so they uh, just uh, lie on a couch and don't uh, um, remodel the bone. And so a large plate and screws like that can do what we call a stress shield uh, the bone and prevent it from getting strong. So in those instances, the tendency would be to take the plate and screws out uh, a year or two after the fracture is healed. And so how come people, and maybe this is something that's happening now that we have, you know, 3D printers that can work with all kinds of different materials, like why wouldn't you use actual collagen and calcium and recreate human bone uh, for, for use in orthopedic surgery? That's a good question. The In some instances, we do uh, use uh, human bone, and that's allograft bone harvested from uh, cadavers. And if the um, person has... Uh, donated their body, well, you know, the cornea and the heart and uh, liver uh, may be harvested and then the uh, uh, long bones uh, can also be harvested and they're sterilized in such a way and, and then preserved uh, such that they no longer have any uh, immune um, potential and so that they can be placed in a uh, another uh, human being without any risk of uh, uh, of rejection so that if somebody is missing a, a big segment of bone say a four or five uh, inch uh, segment of bone uh, out of their thigh bone or their leg bone or upper arm bone uh, then sometimes they receive these uh, allograft um, uh, bone uh, substitutes uh, actually, coral is a, um, the calcium constitution of coral is fairly close to that of the uh, calcium in our bones and that in times gone by it is that people have uh, used a coral as a, a bone uh, substitute. In terms of making bone de novo uh, from uh, uh, calcium in the test tube and trying to uh, apply uh, calcium crystals to it. I, I just think that um, my feeling about that it, it, off the top of my head is that that's uh, just a fairly long run for a, a short slide when we do uh, have access to a cadaver bone that comes in all of the uh, necessary uh, uh, shapes and sizes uh, uh, already. Now, uh, another 
area of uh, active research uh, these days, talking about titanium and stainless steel plates, is that I mentioned that a lot of these need to uh, come out because of the problem of uh, stress shielding, um, but that people are working on dissolvable plates um, out of uh, some biological uh, material that's uh, rigid uh, on implantation, but then the body slowly absorbs it, say, beginning three or four months later after the fracture has healed. And so that this uh, precludes the need to take it out either for comfort uh, or uh, because of the risks of uh, uh, stress shielding. And we'll, we'll see uh, more of that in the future. But uh, right now, it's a, a difficulty between making a uh, um, material that's that's hard enough to uh, keep the uh, fracture site from uh, bending and displacing, but then uh, at an appropriate time months later, have it begin to dissolve. So I want to remind our listeners that Roy Meal's book, Bones Inside and Out, is now available at booksellers everywhere. And there are whole chapters in the book that we haven't even begun to cover, including those about the cultural significance of bone findings and, you know, hundreds of millions of years of evolution and change. And that's a little bit strategic because next week we're going to be hearing from Kermit Pattison, who wrote a book called Fossil Men, about the people who uh, were using bones to learn more about human civilization. And so I see this as a, a two-part series on uh, sort of glorifying bones um, but before we go, I wanted to ask you about uh, tips for healing. And, uh, you know, there seems to be such also a big change in terms of advice. It used to be that, you know, just rest and rest and rest. And now oftentimes, um, after we go through some kind of uh, medical intervention, the advice is get up on your feet as soon as possible. Um, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and maybe even what role physical therapists might have today uh, that is different from people's conceptions of what they should do after they have an injury or surgery? Well, you know, the, the natural condition of uh, animals is uh, to move and it, it's unnatural for us to um you know, lie still for a great length of uh, time. I mean, and a, a uh, contradiction to that is uh, bears who may hibernate uh, all winter and, and not move at all. And remarkably, in the spring, they don't have uh, osteoporosis. And we don't know why. There are some intrepid investigators who will creep into the caves in the wintertime, sedate the bears, draw their blood take the blood back to the laboratory and uh, try to understand uh, how they can manage to not get uh, osteoporosis. And this would be particularly important if we could uh, then treat uh, elderly people uh, with this uh, prevention for osteoporosis. That's also going to be very important on uh, manned missions uh, to Mars where there's no gravity and there's no natural way to protect our bone. But that we naturally move and that anytime we uh, sit down um, or lie down, uh, particularly for days or for weeks, we lose muscle mass, we lose uh, calcium uh, content uh, in our bone, uh, you know, fluid pill uh, fluid uh, accumulates in our lungs and risks uh, pneumonia or digestion goes bad and just uh, a thousand uh, different systems that go out of uh, 
sink when we're not uh, when we're not actively moving now in times gone by if you broke your thigh bone and uh, prior to the advent of surgical treatment uh, there wasn't anything other to do than to uh, lie in bed for six weeks with pillows under your um, leg and and hope that the bone finally healed after about six weeks where you could get up on crutches uh, for another six weeks but in the meantime you you turned into a um, you know bag of water without uh, much uh, uh, strength to your bones or your muscles uh, at all. And, and so that, uh, for instance, with uh, total hip replacements and total knee replacements and with uh, operative fixation of uh, fractures, um, uh, we're recognizing that people can get up earlier and that it is far better uh, for their overall health uh, to do that. And so that then uh, if a professional can move them along a little bit faster and show them what's safe and what's not safe and show them how that they can affect effectively get in and out of the car and get it out of the uh, shower and get their socks on and so forth uh, and still, you know, be moving and not be afraid of moving, well, then uh, that's uh, to the advantage of their overall health. Can you tell us a little bit about your blog, um, where there apparently is an even larger repository of information about bones? <laughs> well, sure. I uh, As I begin to... Um, uh, develop the book, I said, well, okay, I, I can um, do a blog, and the, the blog is aboutbone.com, and that I can uh, post a interesting article about uh, bone uh, every uh, several weeks. That'll help me organize the uh, the book. And it, I said, well, maybe when I get the book written, I might run out of things to um, write about for the blog. But uh, the converse has been true is that uh, the more I learn about bone, the more I find that there is to to learn and that you know, readers of the blog, as well as my own reading, are always turning up new interesting topics uh, for the blog. And so I have fun doing it. It's a um, lighthearted, non-technical um, overview of bone from the things that we've talked about today in terms of basic uh, uh, physiology and metabolism all the way through uh, the way that uh, skeletons have been represented at uh, Halloween and uh, topics that uh, uh, people can uh, take to the uh, Thanksgiving uh, dinner table uh, regarding wishbones and um, all sorts of uh, various uh, cultural and biological aspects of, uh, of bone. So I have fun doing it and that um, I'm always looking for more readers. That's aboutbone.com. Great. I will tell my brother, who's an orthopedic surgeon, about it. Uh, I'm sure he'll be delighted. Um, and just to end off, I wanted to actually ask you a question that probably is only interesting to me personally because of my brother. <laughs> um, is there a kind of culture or there is there like, what attracts people to orthopedic surgery? Do you see that there is a, sp a kind of special... Um, you know, love for bone, or is it about you know working? A, you know, sometimes he calls himself a carpenter. Well, exactly. Like. <laughs> the the I, I think uh, people are attracted to um, orthopedics from one of two uh, avenues. One is that they have been athletes and they had an injury, and they became acquainted with an orthopedic surgeon who hopefully helped them uh, get back in the game. And they said, "Hey, this is cool." And then uh, the other avenue for uh, orthopedic surgeons is commonly uh, through uh, use of tools, either woodworking, which was my uh, background growing up. We had a carpentry shop and I spent a lot of time in it. 
or um, even um, repairing cars or, um, you know, working on mechanical things. And that uh, uh, such a uh, medical student, when the first time they walk into the orthopedic operating room and see this vast array of uh, wrenches and hammers and saws and so forth, and they say, I can make a living as a doctor doing that, you know, sign me up. And then the other thing that, that, that transcends either the sports or the uh, tool use is that you know, orthopedics is a, a specialty where uh, we help uh, people get better. It's not typically a life or death issue. And so that a, a, a neurosurgeon or a cardiac surgeon might be very bored in a um, uh, specialty such as, as ours, but that I think orthopedic surgeons uh, get a, a large um, sense of uh, uh, achievement and satisfaction uh, out of, uh, um, you know, quote, getting people back in the game, quote, and whether that's a sporting event or actually back to work or even to enjoy their avocation or even for an older person, be able just to maintain their independent uh, uh, lifestyle. And so that, that's the uh, mentality. We don't necessarily hold life in our hands every day in the operating room, but if we can uh, uh, make somebody, uh, if we can restore somebody their um, previous level of activity, then that makes us feel good. Well, Dr. Meals, thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. I enjoyed talking to you, Andrew. So that's it for another episode. Next week, we'll talk to Kermit Pattison, who's a journalist who followed the paleoanthropologists who discovered Artie, our oldest human ancestor. And he'll tell us about how bones have revealed our evolutionary history. Thanks for listening. And if you want to hear more, don't forget to subscribe. If you'd like to get an ad-free version of the show, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash inquiringminds. I want to especially thank David Noel, Herring Cheng, Sean Johnson, Jordan Millar, Kyle Rayhalla, Michael Galgool, Eric Clark, Yushi Lin, Clark Lindgren, Joel, Stefan Meyer Ewald, and Charles Blyle. Inquiring Minds is produced by Adam Isaac. And I'm your host, Indre Viscontis. See you next week. Or you can find me on Twitter at Indrevis. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.